Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another big episode of the Rugby Wrap, where we'll preview Heritage Round in Super Rugby Pacific, cast our eyes over the Wallaby squad, and give you a bit of a preview into what we have planned next week when we take the Rugby Wrap on the road. My name's Mick Collis. Great to have your company wherever you may be listening. And joining me as always, former Wallaby Mitch Hardy. Mitch, good to see you. Good evening, Mick. Nice to be back on the Rugby Wrap. It's uh, been busy times, but uh, we're edging closer to the start of the community rugby season, which is really exciting. And uh, some really good, interesting results in the, uh, the Super Rugby over the weekend as well. Yeah, which we'll get to very soon. And a man who crowdfunded for a set of sleeves, the Rugby Wrap's very own singlet model, Heath Tessman. Tess, great to see you. Excellent to see you. But I don't think the uh, I don't think that crowd actually gathered any money for me. I just stole them <laughs> off Mitch Hardy. So, <laughs> you guys should just share your sleeves. Just giving the people what they want. <laughs> get the rigs out. <laughs> well, if, if ever you get stuck in a discussion about rugby, talk always turns to the grassroots. I'm not sure if anyone knows exactly what it means, but the general consensus is that's where the attention should be given. Now, one man who can hopefully shed some light on grassroots rugby and, and how it can be helped is employed by Rugby Australia for grassroots development and to work with the Rugby World Cup 2027 Legacy Program. That man is Michael Flood, and he joins us now. Michael, great to have you with us on the Rugby Wrap. Thank you, Mick. Thanks for the invitation. Um, Mate, great to have you. Now, just to give our listeners a bit of your background, you're a devoted fan of the Wales, the Mossman Rugby Club in Sydney, which plays in the Subbies competition. You've been a player, team manager, coach, secretary, a vice president, six years of president, 10 years on the board. So it's fair to say you know club rugby and what some of the challenges are. So firstly, how do you describe grassroots and what does your job in grassroots development entail? Yeah, well, my originally I moved from um, from Bathurst, grew up there, went to school and uni there, and then moved down to Sydney. And um, you know, one of those sliding doors moments that one of my good friends from Bathurst happened to live at Mossman, and that's how I ended up at Mossman Rugby. So, you know, moved to a new town, uh, you don't know a lot of people, turn up to a rugby club, and you know, within a week you've got 130, 140 mates. So you, you know, your social life sorted and. Um, you know, you've got somewhere to be Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, and also in the off-season. So that's why, you know, that's why, like most people, that's why I really love rugby clubs um, because of that kind of environment. And whereas, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people who are like yourself and, you know, whether you're first grade or fifth grade, no one cares. Everyone looks after everyone and everyone has a great time. So, um, yeah, started as a player and then went as a team manager, then a coach, and then got on the committee and then... Uh, secretary, vice president, and then eventually took the president's role. And so, what you're you know you're involved in grassroots rugby Australia. So, what is your job? What is what's your job? What do you, what do you have to do with that? Well, talking with Phil Kearns, who was involved with Mossman Rugby through um, through his sons who played there, and um, he noticed that the little bit of difference I did with Mossman when I came in is I have an administration background, so I pretty much document everything, um, setting up systems and processes, and. I noticed when I got there is that, you know, obviously everyone knew what had had to be done, but nothing was really put down in paper and there wasn't anything, no procedures, no roles and responsibilities documented and outlined and given to people. So that's one of the first things when I got in there is just ensure that every single person involved in the club knows exactly what their role is and what they expect or what the club expects them to put in in order to um, improve the club. And how, how did people buy into that? No, they didn't like it at first. <laughs> it, was a big, it was a big culture change and uh, I had a few nicknames in the first couple of years. <laughs> to, but, um, but it was a case of, you know, the, it's just like, you know, it's like any business is that you have to have the foundations right um, first. You know, everything, there's money coming in, money coming out. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done, organisation that has to be done and you have to try and make it as efficient as possible. And the best way to do that is to document it, you know, to within an inch of its life and, that's what I did at Mossman. So it was a bit of a bit of a change for a lot of people there. But um, you know, people could see the um, the proof behind the madness, and it it started to improve, and people started to get on board, and um, you know, it just ended up making life a lot easier for everyone because there was no you know there was no double double workloads. Um, there wasn't people standing around wanting to help and not knowing what to do. It was um, it was pretty much set out, and you know, everyone bought into it, and it, you could see results almost immediately. And, and when you say results, do you mean on the field or financial? Well, both. So we had a system when we came on. It was a five-year plan. So 
the first thing um, was to win the club championship. That was the ultimate aim. In five years' time was the club championship. We didn't set any targets on premierships and stuff because, as you know, there's so many factors a club can't factor in for those with injuries and um, or COVID, for example. But what you can ensure is that every week that the team is as best prepared as possible and given the best chance to actually win a game. So first year was a bit of a slog, but we focused mainly on getting the administration and the the people at the the administ uh, you know the board and everything coaches the right coaches right trainers get that in in first to make sure that all the social events training sessions game day organisation and everything was just very well organised so everyone had an enjoyable time and then after that once we got that in in board then we started working on our Colts program um, because obviously you know you, if you're going to look at the future well you've got to get the young people through. Um, so we started working on that and then it took took five years and we won our first uh, Kent World first grade premiership in 56 years. So that was a great result. And then after that, obviously, the word started getting around that Mossman's on the go, moving up. Um, you know, we started to attract more players. And then 2019, you know, we ended up with seven grades and three Colts teams playing in wow. every, on, on every Saturday. And um, it was just more and more people just kept coming down because of the um, the, not only the success on the field, but also the success off the field we had with organising social events. And so were the social events a, a big financial um, benefit for the club? No, no. The, the way that we looked at it is that the social events were really subsidised by the club because it's more, we wanted to encourage people to be part of the club. And, you know, so for people who want to stick around after the game and come up to the clubhouse for speeches and drinks and, and socialise with their mates, we um, we went the opposite route. So we actually took money from other areas and subsidised into the social events. So the people who actually attended the social events, um, you know, were not funding the club. It was the other way around. Mm. The club was funding the people who were involved in the club. So, um, you know, so we had a, you know, we put on, it took a tour actually with the USA to America to realise that what I'd forgotten, which has always happened when growing up in the country, is that, you know, after a game, the host team always put on a feed after the after the game and then, you know, put on some drinks for the visiting team. And, you know, when we travelled around the States, we did the first tour in about 20 years. And I'd forgotten about that, that hospitality. You know, they all invited us back. Everyone from the club, the host club in the States was there. They put on a nice, you know, dinner and they put on some drinks and, um, you know, just small things like that you thought you forgot about. Mm. We, we brought that straight back into Mossman as well, that, you know, to encourage people to come up to the clubhouse and get involved in the club outside of the game as well as on, on the field. Yeah. So actually, actually you're spend, spending some money instead of trying to make it. Yeah, well, it, the funny thing is that it, it actually works out you're making more money by accident. You know, the the drinks, for example, you know, you have a $5 beer and we ran a happy hour, it was three for 10, uh, which makes it more affordable. Um, people said, oh, you know, we couldn't afford to do that. But the fact is, you know, we'd end up selling 1,500 beers instead of 200. So the profit margin itself was a lot more. So we made a lot more money. Um, you know, it was a lot more work, but we're getting, you know, instead of getting 20 or 30 up to the clubhouse, we're getting 100, 120 up to yeah. the clubhouse. And instead of sticking around for one hour, you know, for the quick speech and a one beer then out, you know, what the boys ended up doing was just coming up to the clubhouse, having, you know, a few drinks. And then that's their warm-ups when they go out afterwards. You know, they go and catch up with friends. And whereas in the past, you know, they'd just go home, have dinner, have a couple of drinks, then go and meet their friends. They actually just went straight from the clubhouse. So that changed the whole culture. Um, you know, people got to enjoy each other's company. They got to meet, you know, great mates. And so that works on field too because they're less likely then not to turn up to trainings and to game dates. Yeah, wow. And so, and so how, how do you describe grassroots? What's grassroots to you? Well, I think grassroots, the basis of grassroots is that 90% of the people involved in the club don't get paid. Um, you know, you come down to, to the subbies level, um, you know, we've got, as I said, seven grades. So we've got 40 coaches and managers plus, you know, 12 on the committee plus all the volunteers, touch judges, and, and not a single person, um, you know, makes a makes the earning out of it. And then even when you get into shoot shield, you know, there are, there's a couple of players that may get paid and um, the coaches and stuff, but the, the board is effectively a non, uh, non-payment job. So I think grassroots comes down to is that people who get involved in clubs do it because of obviously they love being a role, a, involved around a community club. Um, and that's the big driver. And that's where, 
you know, I've come in to see if I can assist with the administration is because, you know, I've made 10 years of mistakes and tried what's good and what works and hasn't worked. And I've got templates for pretty much everything. You know, you sit there and do a barbecue. I can tell you, you know, if you're going to cook a hamburger, I can tell you to the cost of the lettuce and the beetroot and the cheese, how much <laughs> that cost put together. So it's kind of overboard. But what I do is I then provide that to the clubs, um, you know, the template. Um, there's about 70 of them now. And then just say, look, this is your starting document. And then, adjust it, implement it, how it actually fits your club. So you are you are getting this out to other clubs, Michael? Yeah, yeah. So there's a pilot program, uh, pro, uh, program running at the moment when I'm dealing with a few of the Shoot Shield clubs. Um, and then obviously this is part of the 2027 Legacy Program, which they've developed with Rugby Australia. And then we're seeing how that pilot program goes over the six months and the feedback. And then um, if it is successful, well, then, you know, Rugby Australia will be looking at rolling it out um, you know, Australia-wide. But there's nothing, I don't think it's been done before in terms of having business development, which is in the administration of a, of a club, rather than, you know, recruiting, strength and conditioning, coaching and that kind of stuff. It's about getting your foundations right first, because hopefully what we all expect is that leading up to the British Lions and the World Cup in 2027, we're going to see a surge like we did in 2003 um, of people coming to clubs. So we want to make sure that the clubs are, you know, as set up as possible to ma- to maintain or to recruit these new players and also maintain them after the World Cup. So if you're at a barbecue and, and someone says, oh, we need to put more money to grassroots, in, in your mind, that's or, or, more, or more resources instead of money into grassroots, in your mind, is that that admin side as opposed to um, players? Says? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, my history is, you know, with Mossman rugby is that the money – it sounds weird, but doesn't really help that much. It's the experience which makes the difference is that, you know, you could throw a hundred thousand at a rugby club and you could spend that in a year and not actually have any better results. But what Rugby Australia can do through programs like this for admin and then also with the business development managers with New South Wales rugby and Sydney rugby and so forth is helping them, you know, get the right level of education for administering, for coaching, um, you know, even down to, you know, uh, players' wealth, welfare, and well-being is that you know these things aren't cash, but they're um, very valuable resources which you know the, the rugby organisations have, but you know local sporting clubs don't. And you talked about that the the, uh, the legacy program for Rugby World Cup. So what does that involve? Yeah, well, that's that's probably something more um, you have a conversation with Phil about because he, him and Anthony French run that. Mine's just a portion of that, which is. Obviously, they're going to have money which is going to be invested into rugby if and hopefully when we get the World Cup in 2027. So, Not, but Just on that, on that, have you heard any more? Because the last I heard was that government weren't necessarily going to cough up the funds. Have you heard any more about our chances of hanging on to that Rugby World Cup? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to speak out of turn here. So give, <laughs> give, give Phil a call or answer the call for that one. Nice try, Mick. Nice oh, try. Yeah. I'm staying well out, I stay well out of that. Mine, mine's grassroots, so I'm a few levels down from that. So, <laughs> so what they're yeah. So what they're hoping is that um, you know that we can actually use the legacy program to invest money back into grassroots rugby's to um, you know to get them get them profitable, get them efficient, um, and getting them at a stage where, you know, that every club is competitive. Um, you know, you've got to have your ups and downs. You know, we had that at Mossman where, you know, we'd have very good years and then you'd have very ordinary years. Um, and usually that coincides with a change of players or change of board, change of coaching. Um, but what we're hoping with, if you get all these systems in place, that, if, you know, if new people come in, well, then it just naturally rolls through. And, you know, you've given a pathway for when you start on, um, you know, the first year so you can actually hit the ground running and not... Um, try and learn the ropes. As I said, you know, it took me seven years until we got to the success that we required. And hopefully by using the mistakes and the stuff that I've all detailed that we can actually, you know, speed up the process for us some other clubs. Because Mitch and Tess, I don't know about you, but it, when you hear about the money that's going to flow on from the World Cup and that that money being invested into grassroots, in my mind, that's always been about um, players, like developing, I don't know, putting money into I don't know where, but it, I never even thought about the admin side. Mitch, I'm not sure what you were thinking. Yeah, so I know we, I know that's where our minds turn to when we talk about the current situation with Australian rugby, but if we if we throw our minds back to 2003, Mickey, there was a Rugby World Cup legacy fund that was put together by, God bless him, John O'Neill. Um, 
and WA Rugby benefited from that. Um, part of my role when I first came over to WA was to implement some of the initiatives as part of that Rugby World Cup legacy funding. And part of that was to have three positions in community rugby purely dedicated to work with club committees around volunteer descriptions, work with committees on their governance, uh, recruitment, retention of volunteers. We did a whole range of um, sort of capacity building, lean development programs with volunteers over here. And it really, really did benefit the clubs. And we ended up having very strong um, governance and committees and volunteer base as a result of that. And then we had those positions in place for three years from memory, um, right across that sort of early stages of when the West, Western Force first uh, was announced. So we were able to both leverage off the legacy funding by creating positions that could work one-on-one -on -one with clubs, but also um, obviously the Western Force brand was was an emerging brand then. So it was a, it mm. was a double whammy for us. So it was, it was really good. Um, so Michael, I'm really interested in, because there was a lot of success around that volunteer management side of things. So what what are some of the, th the key things that you've found with attracting and, and working with volunteers? Because clubs, especially now with COVID impacting a lot of community sport, volunteers is the number one thing that's really having a big impact, being able to attract and retain volunteers. What are the what are what would be the three top things that you could probably talk to to um, to help clubs out there around volunteering? Well, I'd say the number one thing is which I used when I started at Mossman is to make sure that all the roles that are involved in a rugby club are identified and documented. So when you're actually trying to recruit someone, they know exactly what they're putting their hand up for, and they know whether or not that suits them. You know, you don't want to you know, get somebody in who's a doctor and then you give him the treasurer's role. Um, you know, he's very good at operating, but he probably doesn't, you know, he's probably not very good at the numbers side because uh, he has an accountant that does that. So, you know, we got an accountant in to do the accountant, uh, the accounting sync job. So, you know, he's a CPA, so, you know, he can do all the audits and stuff internally. Um, you know, for the secretary, we've got someone who spent a lot of time in, in corporate banking um, doing administration, you know, with ASIC and ATO and stuff. So, he covered that secretary role very well. And then um, other roles, you know, sponsorship, um, social events, IT. You know, we've got a computer programmer to run our IT department. Um, yeah. We had a guy that was involved in a pub as a licensee who was helping out with, because um, we had a liquor license at our hotel, like most clubs, yeah. um, we're helping on the, on the licensing side. So, you know, if there is an issue or we apply for a license or the licensing police turn up, well, then we've got a license, a licensee from a pub who's dealt with it for, you know, for 10 years mm -hmm. and answer any questions. And, yep. and people are, you know, people stand on the sidelines and they look and they, they'd like to help, but I think most people don't want to go and get a job in which they don't think they'll be capable of doing. So if you get out there and advertise what roles are required and what is the expertise required to assume that role, then people can look at that and go, you know what, I can do that. I'll be suitable for that role. And that's what we did. We made sure everyone was in the right position and then they concentrated just on their area. And, you know, when someone stepped down, we then just recruited for that specific job with, again, a document that was sent out saying this is the role responsibilities, this is the time, amount of time that'll take to actually do that role in a, in a week um, and for the season. And, and we recruited very, very well. We, we filled all roles that we had at the club. And who'd you market those roles to? Was it your alumni of the club? Was it the yeah. community in around Mossman or, or was it the player base themselves? Yeah, so it was the old boys, um, firstly, um, you know, because what we try and do, like, you know, like when you are when you were playing rugby and I was playing rugby at Mossman is that, you know, you don't really put much attention into how the club runs. You're, you're there to turn up, play, socialise. Um, whereas, you know, once, you, once you've finished your career and you still want to be involved in a rugby club, um, Best way to get involved is to, you know, to be a coach and manager, a volunteer. And we actually built up a team of people who, you know, obviously we got on very well too. So it was, a, you know, it was a good social activity for us. Um, but, you know, we advertised through the Old Boys Network and then through our juniors. You know, we identified who, who was involved heavily in the juniors program up until the ages of 15s, which we have at our juniors. And then fast forward four years and approach those people and because their kids are now 18, 19 out of school. Um, you know, obviously, if they're involved in rugby before, they love being in rugby again, and we got them involved in the seniors, and they yep. loved it. They brought their kids down. That helped our juniors program, uh, our Colts program, um, and they loved it. And then they brought their friends that they worked together with the juniors. And um, yes, as I said, we and went from having 
you know, obviously some solid volunteers we've had for a long time to having more than we could handle, um, um, which is a great position to be in. Absolutely. And you mentioned the importance of having a plan. Is it like plans can be very complicated things that sit on a shelf right down to things that are very operable. What's what's a couple of tips that you could probably throw out there as far as planning goes? Well, it's got to be it's got to be long term. Um, you know, our pro, our program was five years um, to hit our result, but then you have obviously yearly targets. So, you know, first year, the targets was to get the administration right, get the right people in the right roles, um, make sure that the social events we put on are well-run, well-organised, um, enjoyable, um, and run by what the players want rather than what the, the old people on the committee want. You know, I could sit there and go, you know, we did toga parties for 20 years at the rugby club. <laughs> they work brilliantly, mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they were brilliant, but, you know, you're speaking to my 10-year-old and he's never watched Animal House, so he has no, <laughs> he has no idea what toga, what toga party is. Um, yeah, so you adapt and you get that done first and, that you know, that's your first-year program. And then our third-year program was to have all teams in the finals. Um, again, not even mentioning premierships or stuff. It was just that, you know, everyone plays rugby to start off with to make the finals. And that's something that you can give them as a target to get to the final. If you if you go for premierships or whatever, if they see they're falling out and they're not going to come first or a team smashing them, well, then they're going to lose the will to, to continue putting in that effort. But if you force, if you say that, you know, the, the target is the finals, um, then, you know, you're in for a shot and you can keep them, keep them interested up until uh, the final start. And then you don't have to, you don't have to pump up anyone for a grand final. Like that just takes over yeah. to actually get that final in. Um, so that was the the targets. And then obviously 50. And the reason why we focus on club championship, you win a club championship, it means you've got a strong club. You've got five or six grades doing extremely well. Everyone's happy. Everyone's winning. Um, and that's what happened is, and then it started building. We got to six teams, seven teams. We had to stop at seven teams and three Colts because um, we had no one to play against. Um, you know, it's a great position to be in, but, you know, again, it's swings and roundabouts, you know, we're just in the time where, you know, we're actually peaking, you know, for 34 years, we only won nine premierships. In the last four years, we've won 16. So, um, you know, we're, we're peaking now. And hopefully if we keep our Colts program going through, which we're working on, the young guys will just keep coming through. And hopefully we don't get that big dip that, you know, you see at most, most rugby clubs. Yeah. Well, right. And, and sorry to hog, hog this for a little bit, Mickey, but no. um what about the state sporting association? So the, the rugby bodies in the states, what could they do more, in your opinion, to support grassroots rugby in, in this topic around volunteers and, and club development? Yeah, well, we, we do a lot of work um, with New South Wales Rugby and also with Sydney Rugby Union. Um, because you mentioned uh, the business development managers a second ago as well. So are they formal positions tied to your piece of work that are implementing this stuff? No, no, we're Rugby Australia is the, and our legacy program is just focusing on the administration and then we work with the yep. New South Wales Rugby who then have the business development guys that get out there and, and help with the coaching and um, recruitment and, you know, um, strength and conditioning and that kind of stuff. So we, we work obviously together but two completely separate sides. They're, they're more dealing with players whereas I'm more dealing with, um, with the board. And then yep. obviously with all the grants, it's another thing, you know, I, I filled out four or five grants a year for 10 years at Mossman. I filled out everything. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of administration, but, you know, if you don't apply, you don't get it. And eventually, you know, they come around and they say, okay, well, this person's put in, you know, 40 grant applications. <laughs> I think, I think you better get it. shut him up. Like the Shawshank Redemption thing. They, you know, they just said, well, just stop submitting bloody grants. But, <laughs> But these things you've got to be persistent, and um, you know. So I'm I've, I'm in contact with all of the all of the bodies that actually have those grants, and so anytime a grant comes out, I notify all the people I'm working with um, about what grants are available and and how best to um, submit a grant to um, maximise the chances of um, of getting it yep. through. Yep, that's good. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Mickey. That's me for that. I'm sorry to take over there for. No, a bit. that's all right. So, Michael, yeah. if if clubs want to get some of those templates that you were talking about, are they are they available at this stage or is it still in a trial period? No, it's still in the trial period. So what we've done is that um, there's a draft document which I've given to four shoot shield clubs, which I'm working with at the moment. Um, obviously, we're waiting to get feedback from them on, you know, what can, what's, what can, looks good, what, what needs some changes and so forth. Um, and then once we've got that, then we'll then be working with um, New South Wales Rugby and getting it out in Sydney first and then... 
um, you know, based obviously when we get the 2027 World Cup, we then start looking at rolling out into the, um, into the other states as quick as possible. Yeah, no, fantastic. That's great. We really appreciate your time. I found that, yeah, completely spun my head around about what, what grassroots is all about. So I do appreciate it. And thanks very much for your time on the rugby wrap. No problem. Okay, thanks for having me on and say hi to all the rugby players in WA for me. Will do. Thanks very much. Cheers, Michael. Michael. Cheers, Michael. So that was Michael Flood uh, from Grassroots Development at Rugby Australia and involved in the Rugby World Cup 2027 Legacy Program. And Tess, that was, I don't know if that surprised you, but it surprised me that, as I said, I always thought Grassroots was about players, but but it's not. Yeah, and I think, I know we've spoken in the past about the, uh, you know, the rugby powers that be getting together and putting together training programs and things drills that coaches should be working on and everything like that and it's always very on field centric Mm. but that's just as important if not as important as what's Mm. happening on the field if you haven't you haven't got the clubhouse for the guys to go into after the game you haven't got you haven't got a rugby club you haven't got those people there so being able to identify the the right people for the job and give them a structure a template to work around it's it's a great idea the sooner we get that out whether it's whether we get that 2027 world cup or not that needs to be yeah made accessible online anyway to so anyone who wants to use it. And it's almost the, the point that they don't they don't wait for volunteers to walk up and say, I want to help. Like they actually put out, this is what we need. And if you want to volunteer, this is it's like a job Re- just without recruit the recruit players, so why don't you recruit yeah. the best people for the job yeah. down in the club? But, but as I said, Mickey, like this has been around for 20, 20 plus 30 years. Like you look at friends groups of clubs and, you know, alumni groups of clubs and, mm. you know, yeah, surf lifesaving does it really well. Um, you know, as you know, like they've always got volunteer lifeguard stuff and happening, and the parents have to play an active role in the nippers programs and that sort of stuff. But when you get to rugby clubs, it's kind of we've gone through that generation where we've, and in particular in WA rugby, I'm talking about now, where a lot of the clubs are really struggling for volunteers because we've missed a whole generation of people who have sort of gotten used to the whole drop your kids off at sport. Yeah. mindset rather than mm. stay and volunteer mm. and mate, it doesn't take much to cook a sausage on a barbecue you don't need you don't need a, a degree to do that um and it's it's just a matter of some people just need to be asked and pointed in the right direction and i think we're missing a trick here in rugby at the moment and and the game's suffering for it and you can just have to, you just have to look at the participation numbers in in wa in particular where they've either flatlined or declined in certain areas because of the fact that we're missing a volunteer base to then inspire people mm. to come down and enjoy what club rugby has to offer. So, you know, clubs that do it well, there's no coincidence. Clubs that do it well and have a good volunteer base are successful on the field as well. It is just, it goes hand in glove. Like mm. if I use the analogy of, you know, my cricket club, which I'm involved in over here down at Leaderville, seven teams out of eight in finals this year, thriving juniors, um, lots of volunteers willing to put their hand up and do work. Whereas you know, I, I compare that to what's happening down at UWA Rugby Club, where they've barely got enough players to field three teams, don't have a Colts this year, and, and, have, and have got a fledgling um, ladies team going, lacking volunteers, lacking people to do things because of the fact that people are just sitting back, sitting back, waiting for someone else to do it. Hmm. Um, you know, your old man's volunteered for years and years and years, like going back to Eastwood days, he's volunteered countless amount of hundreds and thousands of hours uh, of his time. And it was always really rewarding for Warren um, with the work that he's done. But I don't know. I think we just got to reinvigorate that whole volunteer. It's not just about watching the game. It's about volunteering and being part of it. We've got to reinvigorate that. And that's a really good example. And this is why I'm a bit, a bit, bit sad that it's only exclusive to Sydney at the moment. I'd like to see... It doesn't take rocket science to expand that nationally. No. I don't know why we have to do a pilot program and why it can't be just be readily available straight away. Why has like he got us to shoot shield clubs? They're the ones that have had the success down there in the subbies. Yeah, I reckon <laughs> the sooner they get that on the national footprint, the better, mate. Everyone's going to benefit. Yeah, and it, it, it's surprising they didn't cast the trial a little bit wider. Just, you know, four, four shoot well, shield clubs. It's um, Why not yeah. four over here, four in Queensland, four in Melbourne? Or, Tasmania, South Australia, yeah. Northern Territory. Go to places where where you're really going to be at the coalface of grassroots, not shoot shield clubs. That's not yeah. the coalface of grassroots. Hmm. 
Well, let's um, move on. We'll look at the results from last week's games in Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, Rugby 16, Reds 12. Mitch, that was a good tight contest. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, you know, the, the Reds could be feel a little bit hard done by, a little bit of controversy in that game towards death with the TMO not being involved in the pullback of Fraser McWright as he was going for the the, the, the try, which was towed through. So um, the Reds could probably feel themselves a little bit unlucky. And, again, we're seeing referees being indecisive and a little bit of indecision there and the team, TMO having an influence and then not having an influence as they choose. So... Um, it was a tight tussle. Uh, Pro- Brumbies were probably the better team on the night, but um, we always knew that that was going to, always going to be a tight one. But, um, you know, the Reds could have snuck home there. And a little bit of controversy with the referee holding his arm out, but but saying, I, I didn't hold it out. And some of the, uh, a few of the yeah, players saying, but, but you held it out. Mate, <laughs> you held it out, you just didn't say anything because he was about to he- hold it out and blow something. And he went, no, actually, I'm wrong. Oh, oh. But that's, <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, no. Oh, and what about Taniella getting cited after the game? After oh. reviewing it on field, nothing in it, shoulder on shoulder, and then the signing commissioner steps in. What do you reckon about that, Heath? Oh, well, thank you. God, and I, I was just trying to read up on that now to make sure to see what happened. Oh, tonight, he, tonight's the they hearing. Appealed and he's, been, he's been given the all clear. He's got off. So oh, for thank God some, some sanity has revived. Oh, I'm <laughs> so, glad we've wasted everyone's time in bringing oh, the judiciary hearing together for that. That's when, But it's one of those situations where it's just that good a clean. He's just hit the guy that well. He's yeah. blown him off the board. It's copy book. Like it's perfect. Yeah, but Jerome Brown should have been penalised. He was flopping all over the thing. How else are you meant to clean the guy up? He's lying exactly. almost Superman style on the ball. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's 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 back. Uh, Waratahs 24, Rebels 19. Test, do you think the Rebels would get that close to the Tars? Um, I did a little bit, though. At the same time, it's a, it's a, it's a younger Waratahs team still as well who are still learning their way and learning how to win after going you know, a long time last year without getting that victory. They're always, they've had some big games over these last few weeks, especially like that, that game for them against the force was a real fork in the road moment for them as well, whether or not they were going to be able to go on and compete this year or whether or not they were just going to kind of be in that bottom half of the comp. And the fact that they got up over them, I, I always feel there was going to be a little bit of a dip off um, coming and, as well, the Rebels would have circled this game. The, the Rebels, mm. God bless them, they're already at that point where they're in the season and it's saying, okay, this is the ones we can target if we're going to find a win this year. Otherwise, it's going to be a year like the Tars had last year. And I think that that game for the Tars was one of those ones they would have had circled up on the wall. Let's, we've got to throw the kitchen sink at this. And not saying that they're not going to come out every week and do the best that they have, but realistically, these are some of the games that they're going to have yeah. an opportunity to win. Um and so I think it was as as tough as it was for for the Tars. They did a little bit tougher than expected. I think it was still a good good gritty kind of win for them. So I think they're they're ticking along quite nicely. You know, Coach Coleman and, and Tamapio over there are doing a, a pretty good job. They've got you know there's nothing, nothing too flashy about them. They're still you know missing players. They still haven't settled on their best fifteen. They're still a young fifteen as well. So. I think they're building something pretty good over there, as much as I hate to say it about the Waratahs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the poor Rebels. The only good thing about the Rebels, Mickey, was Dickie Harwood getting his 50th Super Rugby cap, yeah. one of our favourites. Yeah, great milestone. Great milestone for Dickie, former UWA junior, which is great. And, and the other match, the Western Force 20, defeating the Drua 18, Bailey Kunzul, the hero, kicking the penalty after the siren to break Fijian hearts. And Mitch, we'll start with you. What do you think of the Force's performance? Oh, look, I think... I think they did what we expected and and trying to keep this, the game structured and and but again they they struggled to really get the points on the board against the, against the Fijians and really put them to bed. I thought the Fijians could have won that game five times over. Um, they just lacked composure at crucial parts of the game. You know, a couple of areas come to mind where they they have those breakout breaks and then they just push the last pass and it goes to ground or. The, you know, that time of the game with about 10, 15 minutes to go, they had five five-metre scrums or line-outs within the Western Force trial line and managed to absolutely muff it every single time. Mm-hmm. Credit to the Force's defence, though. Like, they were able to hold them out. Um, and credit to the Force, they were able to stay in the game and, and give themselves an opportunity to win it. But you always got the sense that at some point in time, Fiji were just going to eventually just give up the gas and, and give a penalty away. Um, and good on Bailey Kunzel for stepping up and, and slotting the goal at the end. But yeah, far from far from convincing that win. I'm glad they did win, but far from convincing. And I do have a 
a little bit of sorrow for the Fijian Drua because they sh- really should have won that game and they really should have won it well. And Tess, you talk about forks in the road. Was that a fork in the road for the Western Force? Well, yeah, I, th- I think it could have been because like Mitchie just said, it's it's a game that they probably should have lost several times. But the fact that they were able to find a way to win and, and grit it out and whether that's just by staying calm while Fiji, Fiji are throwing all these attacking forays at them and they're looking like they're going to score and it can be pretty easy for a team to kind of lose their way a little bit when they're under the pump that hard, but they stayed tough and they knew that they, if they just kind of kept doing what they were trying to do, what their game plan was at the beginning of the game, that they would end up getting over the top of them. And, you know, every team will talk about it, especially, especially when you're playing against this Fijian teams, like how they can rack up points, but if you're there, it might take you, might take you four minutes. It might take you 84 minutes. As long as you're within arm's reach of them, you're going to get an opportunity to win. So like tip of the hat to the, to the force. And, but I, I do agree as well with Mitchie. I think look, the, the Drew are everyone's other team, aren't they? Like they're, yeah. the, they're, the, they're the new boys. They're playing the most entertaining stuff. So you can't help, but, you know, feel a little bit, a little bit sad that, sad they didn't yelling, get over. I was yelling at the TV, Mickey, because, you know, like they've got such attacking flair in their backs. The five minutes out from the line. So what do they do? Pass it to the big prop forward who drops the ball, you know, yeah. two metres out from line. Like, just pass it to one of their backs. For God's sake, they're 110 kilos anyway. You know, oh, so but frustrating. that prop's only a tenth of a second slower over the 100. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they've got but, great yeah. fans too that turn up to Leichhardt. That was um, fabulous but I, but to see I, the fans. But I'm not sure how accurate the stats are, but let's just, like, a couple of telling things. Western Force missed tackles, 29. Hmm. You know, that's a... That's a telling That's a stat. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the, the line-out success rate for the Fijian Drua, 8 out of 14. That's wow. a telling stat. You know, that's that's a lot of possession that you're turning over. Um, I'm not sure what the penalty count is. They don't record penalty counts now these days. But, yeah, I think... I think Really? And you know, you know what I'm like with the referees, Mick. I, I try and be as nice as possible. Now yeah, we know why they don't record penalty counts. <laughs> but I think, but they I probably think, do. They just don't give them to Rich Hardy. <laughs> don't you think? But don't you think we could just play a little bit more advantage at times, like just to see how the play unfolds? Like they're really quick to, to blow things up on a lot of occasions, and I just think a little bit more advantage on mm. some of these occasions could, could just let the game breathe a bit, unfold, see what happens rather than teams just kick the ball away and go, oh, we'll just take the penalties. Yeah. So, yeah. And play play more, but then be happy to end the advantage as well sooner is, is one yeah. of the things I think as well. Yeah, I think Forget it's... the eight of phases where you've gone 15, 20 metres. You've had eight chances to, yeah. Yeah, to play, play with on, the ball, yeah. okay? So play on. Arm goes down. Yeah. Let's not march back for that, scr- especially, and this is me saying it, a scrum penalty <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, how many scrums? Like every second scrum was a scrum penalty on the weekend. It was just, hmm. I felt like every game, like not just the Western. No, Wolves, not yeah. You know, I'm thinking it's happening a lot in the Tars game, game happening a lot in the Brumbies game. Just like, oh, how many scrum penalties are there over this weekend? And I, I, we don't like to bag players on this podcast, but oh. yeah, look, Matt Taylor, he can, he can he can make a break, but Tess, I reckon you'd be quicker than him over sixty yards. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he he gets caught. He always gets caught. I thought he'd be lightning. It, it depends on what's at the end of the pitch. There's a big bucket of Cheerios there and a tomato <laughs> sauce. I'm probably a bit oh. <laughs> Like, I don't think the Force have anyone with genuine speed that I have seen. Kunzel might, but I haven't seen him break out yet. But we don't seem to have anyone that's just got those oh, Tony, jet shoes. Tony, Tony Pooley's Tony pretty bit of rapid, rest. yeah. yeah he's, he, but he just needs the space to be able to do that. Um, be on the field. Yeah. I, look, I thought when the Force play to their structure, they they can, they can they'll be able to mix it with any, any team. But they're you know, the, they are relying on penalty, set piece, and a bit of luck to get their wins at the moment. So, yeah, far too many close games for mine. They need, create, they need, not creating enough. They need that breakout game, and it might come when they next play the Rebels, where they mm. just completely dominate from the opening whistle to the, the final whistle. And, and everything they works. Just destroy someone. Yeah, well, they're currently sitting in sixth spot. Uh, Brumbies on top, then the Reds, Crusaders, Tars, Chiefs, Force, Blues, and the Hurricanes round out the top eight. Super W, the Reds up 15-10 over the Brumbies. Uh, New South Wales 67, uh, defeating the Rebels 10. New South Wales looking very good. And the Drewer 45-0 at halftime against the Force. Final score 45-17. I reckon that was a, a gutsy effort by those Force ladies in the second half. They were rattled. Um, second half took to the Fijians, and, and they looked yep. the good. So, um, yeah, that was good. And, yeah, plucky performance, Mickey. Yeah, it really was. I thought 45-0. I thought, where's this going to end up? But, 
time. But having 17 yeah. nil second half was a, a really good response. I'd I'd like to think that their slow start was because Stewie Jenkins donated his heroes and villains vouch, vouch to the team last week, but I haven't been able to get it to Trillene Pro yet. So if anyone knows her email, let let me know and we can uh, uh, send, we'll send it, her and the girls up to. We'll get it to her by week. By week's coming up soon. It so. is. In fact, it's coming up this week. By this week, weekend. Super W. Uh, so on the Super W ladder, the Drua and the Tars. Women both undefeated on 15 points. Then the Reds, Brumbies, Melbourne and Force. And Friday, April 1, the Drua versus the Tars women. And I reckon that'll be a, that'll be an absolute mm. classic. They April both love first. scoring points. April 1, Friday. And that, that, that Tars team's never lost a game of Super No, w, in four they? years. Undefeated. So, no. <laughs> so and I, neither of the um, Drua. They haven't had as many, but they're both yeah, have, never, have never been beaten. <laughs> four games undefeated in <laughs> four years, but still. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. And then looking at Super Rugby Pacific, this week it's Heritage Round, which means clubs get to sell their fans another jersey. <laughs> he loves it. Force, <laughs> what are you talking about, Mick? The Brumbies will just be wearing their original 96 jersey, which with milk, they've they'll publicised. Have the, 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 milk, milk across the front, whatever it is that they used to have down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, why milk. not? So That's the force, just the original jersey, mate. The force is selling theirs at HBF Park before the game. And from what I saw, it's black with black and blue stripes, which I don't think they've ever worn. They've never. They've never plane. worn that. But it's, I, it's made of I cotton, saw. though, okay? Yeah, with a collar. I know. It's a great-looking jersey. Cotton, cotton with a collar. Why couldn't they just roll out the original Western Force jersey in cotton? I don't know. No, and people are, have that. <laughs> they're not going to make any more money out of well, something they've already got. Throw out the old um, black and gold hoop jersey. That the yeah, first spirit that, wore in the first season. And because mm-hmm. the force are asking people to wear so they're selling a black and blue striped jersey and they're asking people to wear black and gold to the ground to pay homage to the force's WR rugby heritage. So I must be missing something, but it you know not, it, it doesn't You're make not. sense to me. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. but, but good on them. And I hope lots of people buy jerseys because they're wonderful. I hope I hope everyone does turn out in all black or all gold. I don't care. But it it'll look <laughs> it looks really cool. You see them doing it in all the big Stadiums in the US and it's a it has a great effect. Oh, the Welsh, the Welsh stadium, stadium on the weekend was completely in red. Yeah, oh, they were, the, well, they were red faced by the end of it as well, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. But yeah, Same hopefully, see a blue, see a blue. Um, good news is all New no. Zealand teams, all, all New Zealand teams healthy and COVID, so it's a full round. Moana Pacifica against the Hurricanes, Rebels against the Drua, Highlanders against the Blues, Chiefs against the Crusaders. Uh, Reds against the Tars and on Friday night HBF the Force against the Brumbies but before we do get to the Force game Reds versus Tars on Saturday and who doesn't love a grudge match oh yeah how good is this this is going to be this is going to be a cracker I reckon Mickey I reckon the Tars are going to be up for it and I reckon there'll be some some, some push and shove there'll be some handbags there'll be all sorts of stuff what what it's missing is I hope Lockie Swinton's back available for the Tars this week just to just to rub it in, but if he's not, it could be a little bit lame. But um, yeah, Carlo Tizano, he's combative. If he yeah. gets a start at seven, yeah. So Carlo's in the seven jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Carlo's starting. And Charlie Gamble going to six. That's that's a good move by Darren Comlow. I like where he's coming from there. So he's put Angus Bell on the bench. So Tara Faulkner and Harry Johnson Holmes getting the start. Tane Edbed making his first start in the number ten jersey for the Tars. So he'll be outside Jack Grant. And inside the former British line, Jamie Roberts. Uh, Isaiah Parisi's been ruled out with COVID, as we mentioned, Carlo Tizano starting. And interestingly, Jack Grant and Tane Edmed, so the 9-10, sons of Great Jimmy story. Grant and Steve Edmed, the two former Balmain Tigers teammates who played that epic 1989 NRL Grand Final against the Raiders. And it's just a shame the game's being played at Suncorp and not Leichhardt, because that would have Should been, have been wonderful. Should have been Leichhardt. <laughs> I could have got well, block not, of road. Neither of them were even neither of them were even born when that game was <laughs> no, played. No, they wouldn't be. Not at all. But um just yeah, nice little bit of uh nice moment yeah. for those two guys and the two dads to have their boys run around in the nine ten. Yeah, very cool. And as we mentioned, Taniella Tupo will be available uh, mm-hmm. after being that, that sighting was dismissed. Tate McDermott's back and Jordan Pattaya, Mitch, you'll be happy to know retained at fullback. Yeah, I think Tate McDermott's the big call in there, Mickey. Um he makes a big difference to the Reds lineup. Um, you know, the I, I, I reckon the Waratahs are going to take the Reds right to the wire on this one. I, on paper, you'd be picking the Reds all day long. Home game, good solid performance over the last few weeks. Um, reasonably consistent, 23. You know, the Waratahs have had a little bit of disruption. That that surprises me. Anyway. coming. I feel like there's a butt coming. 
<laughs> Angus Bell going to the bench worries me a bit. I don't understand that one. Um, Harry Johnson Holmes, the guy that gets penalised the most in the competition, keeps getting his spot every week. Honestly, he's got nude photos of Darren Coleman. Um, but <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> but you know, a bit of a mix-up in the back row. I like where he's coming from there. Tane Edmund is a class player. Yeah, he's real good. Um, even though Donaldson has been playing some pretty good footy, Tane Edmund can play. Um, I'm going for a Reds win, though, and I reckon a Reds by eight. Cool. There you go. What do you reckon, Tess? No, I think I think this is the one where I do think it'll be a good, scrappy affair, and, and Coach Common will have them all up for it. Uh, I just think that the, the Reds team are just that little bit more mature, a little bit more experienced in getting out the win. So I think it's going to be tight for probably 40, 50 minutes. Uh, but then I think the Reds team will probably finish over the top of them and end up getting up. Let's say 27 to 12. Oh, nice. Big win. Comfortably in the end. Big win by the Reds. And then on Friday night, this this Friday, 7 o'clock, uh, the Western Force up against the Brumbies out at HBF Park. A bit of shuffling around by coach Tim Sampson, but no major surprises. So the Force, their starting 15, Harry Lloyd, Felitti Kotu and Santiago Medrano in the front row. Thrush and Rodder in the second row. Fergus Lee Warner, Kane Koteca and Brynard Stander the back row. Pryor and McIntyre, the 9-10. Bailey Kunzel and Kyle Godwin, Goodwin back in the 23, starting this week. Matelli and Tony Pillow on the wings and Jake Strawn at fullback. And then Reddy, Abra, Holmes, Anstey, Ollie Callan, uh, Isaac Feintel, Lawasa, Rasham, Pasatoa and Richard Kahui on the bench. Uh, the Brumbies, pretty standard. Scott C.O., Lockie Lonigan, Sefo Kite. So no Alan Alatoa for the Brumbies. Swain no, and all slipper. Yeah, all so, our finger. So. so interesting how that up front will go. Swain and Frost, Valentini, Brown and Samu in the back row. Ryan Lonigan, captain this week. Uh, Rodiona, Muirhead, Simone, Ikatau, Wright and Banks. They're starting 15. Mm. How's it going to go? Tess, you reckon up front, up front initially, how much do you reckon they'll miss... Oh, I, that, uh, they'll, I reckon they'll, they'll miss that whole front row. Like you, you, you can, you can take one of them out comfortably and have enough the IP and uh, the maturity and experience throughout the rest of them to keep everything settled. But I, you know, you're taking out Slipper, Alatoa, and Falafa Falafa What that's 250 odd Super Rugby caps mm. plus test. the Test games as well, along with it. That's a that's a lot of experience out of what is effectively a very. Uh, they're a confident pack, but they're still very young and inexperienced pack. I don't know, besides Pete Samu, no one else has probably played 50 games of Super Rugby in that group. So you take those guys out of it, um, you know, replace them with some with some very capable guys. Scotty Co comes in. He, he's going to be very experienced. Lachlan Longnigan's on the way up. Sefa Katai, uh, sorry, Katai. Uh, he's had experience over in New Zealand before coming to the Brumbies last year. So he's been in and around Super Rugby for a bit, just hasn't got the games. So I think there's a big, there's a huge opportunity for the for the force there, and if not up front early on, up front in the second half when we're able to bring the likes of of Reddy, um, you know, Bo Abra's only in his second game, but you've got Reddy and Holmes coming off the bench against you yeah. know some pretty pretty fresh young guys. I think that's where the opportunity opportunity will be for us. And well, we haven't touched on the force team, but they've got Kane Koteka back into that back row makes it it just doesn't completely even out that back row competition but i think as far as what tim sampson and and the rest of the coaches have wanted i think this is probably the balance of the back row that they've wanted from the beginning of the year and just haven't been able to get because of injuries to the second row or or to kane as well at seven they haven't been able to have this combination of guys on the field yet so i think this is this is their ideal back row so having them going out there against what Oh, I think is arguably the best back row in the competition is a big plus as well. So, I mean, I've spoken about front rows for about five minutes now, but <laughs> long story, long story short, I think, I think this is as much as all the games for the force are a fork in the road game. I think this is where they can really drive it in. They'll be confident going into it after the, the uh, round one showing. Um, and I think they might get the rub of the coin this time and, and come out on top. And Mitch, the, the back line, do you like that? The back line of the Western Force? Yeah, well... Goblin it's, brought it's back ad- up? Yeah, well, it's adequate, Mick. I, I don't don't think it's got a lot of attacking power there, and we've always talked about that, but the saving grace there is the change of 10 for the Brumbies, Rodney owner. Like, he's a quality player, Rodney. Um, you, can't, you can't underestimate him. He can play the game, but missing Lalesio out of the team and just a couple of 
key senior players from the Stoneway of the Brumbies just opens the door for the force. And I think Kane Kateka coming back in at seven is crucial. They've really missed him the last couple of weeks. Um, Stander's been really good. He always is. He's a solid performer. Lee Warner has got a point to prove, and mm. we'll probably talk about that later, but he needs a massive game because against Valentina Brown and Samu, that, yeah, that yeah. is just, you it's know, that's row. where you're going to lose it. And also the, the Brumbies line-out is just going to absolutely destroy us. We can't we can't afford to have a line-out day like we had the other week. Otherwise, we're going to get an absolute bath. So um, in the backs, Banks is in good form. Wright's in good form. Muirhead's been playing good footy. Mog's been doing his job off the bench. Simone and Ikatau, very solid, very dependable. Um, there's no doubt about it that the force will be put under the pump in the backs. And if I was at Brumbies, I'd be playing ball in hand as much as I possibly can um, and not kicking too much possession away because uh, the more they've got the pill, the more they're going to control the scoreboard. So, um, look, it's going to, I, I think the force have got the, – the door is ajar. They just need to walk through it. If they can combat – if they can – combat the, the Brumbies for the first 60, they could win the game in the last 10. So are you going to – can they do that? I'm going to stick my I'm stick my neck out and say forced to win on the de- on the belt like they did last the week. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a cliffhanger. It'll be decided in the last five minutes and the force could get up. All right. Now, now Tess, do you – I don't I want, to want to sp- be positive. I want to be positive for our <laughs> WA fans out there. Tess? No, I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a repeat of of round one, except with us coming out on top. So pretty similar to what Mitchie's predicting. I reckon it's going to be tight. It's going to be an arm wrestle. We're going to grind them. It's going to be a physical game, and then someone's going to pull a rabbit out of the hat for us this week instead. And how many tries, Tess, will the Brumby score from a rolling maul off a lineout? None, none, because they're none? going to guys, aren't they? Yeah, I'll go with none. Oh, none. I'll, I'll say oh, that as well. Come on. None. Oh, really? Yeah, force two, they've only got two strong jumping options. Two strong jumping options in the line out. that rolling line out. They're going to okay. score. They're going to score working little plays around the fringes. <laughs> yeah. <we're> gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll go, right. Yeah, ball to the front. But it won't be a more play. trick play. <laughs> so that yeah. game on uh, Friday night at seven o'clock. So get out there wearing your black, your blue, your orange, your yellow, and your and your black, and make a lot of noise for the Western Force. Uh, a message shout on Facebook from Dean Woodham. Uh, any reason that Clay Ewan is not in the Western Force? Plenty more of his mates in the same boat too. Uh, I thought it was pitched as locals, employing locals mentality for 2022. Uh, please explain from the gurus. That'd be Mitch and Tess. Would be awesome. So well, that's from it's great, Dean it's on great, Facebook. Great to, great to see Clay Ewan back in WA Rugby, Mickey, to start with. like uh, Clay had, for those that don't know, Clay's journey has been extensive. He's, he's spent WA Junior, Junior Up, UWA, was in the force setup, uh, went overseas um, with the whole debacle that went on when the Western Force got cut, came back through, didn't get a contract, uh, went over to Sydney, played some shoot shield with uh, his mates over at East Beast. Beasties. They're in Sydney with Nick Juiced. Um, did really well, still nothing, still no contracts. Came back to WA with his family. He's got a newborn and, and married now and, um, really settled, so he's looking to re-establish himself in WA Rugby. There is no reason whatsoever why that guy can't be a professional rugby player in WA for the Western Force. None whatsoever. I've seen him play the preseason games against the Force and the Force A. Outstanding. Outst- he's in great condition, physically adequate, can play 13, 15 and wing. No idea why he hasn't got a contract. And he's fast. He's too fast. Well, he's got a is. secret. He's got a secret sprint coach right now as well. Yeah. If, yep. <laughs> if you read all the Facebook posts from his manager Dean, you never know. <laughs> you never know. But I. But he's still young. Like he's only 24, 25. He's in the same yeah. genre as, you know, uh, Brad Lacey and these guys. So you know, I think if I had to call it now, he'd be in my top three for PG Hampshire for this local competition this year. So we'll go to the mailbag and Coach Dave Rennie's first Wallaby squad of the year. Uh, that'll gather for a three-day camp in Queensland next week. That was announced during the week. No real surprises. I guess the biggest uh, names missing uh, was uh, Matt Omua and uh, Luke Hansalakai-Loto. And as reported in the Herald, the 40-man camp, which will also unofficially include Suliasi Vunavalu, He's been unofficially included in the 40-man camp. Uh, sure hasn't played, love that, Mick. I'm sure has, love hasn't that. played this season. 
played seven games in 2021. And Lodi Sakiri's come out saying he should stick with rugby, not to go back to rugby league, because he reckons he can still make the World Cup. So we'll wait and see where that goes. But Mitch, Tom Banks in. Happy yeah, with that? Des- deserves to be. He's and played he just, good rugby. So has he, has, he, has, he just, has he just done the right thing at the right time to get himself in? Yes. Or, right. That's absolutely. You've got to play good rugby to get picked, Mick. And what I don't like is what you just pointed out. Blokes that don't even play get picked. It's just ridiculous. Like, yeah, turn I, it up. I can't understand that. They must have that already is, had his, they must have had his tracksuit already made and they thought, well, we might as well yeah, bring him on and give him his tracksuit. We've already embroidered the SV. Like, and there was articles <laughs> articles throwing out there that he's going back to NRL. That They don't just materialise out of nothing. Yeah. Someone's yeah. behind that. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, we talked about, like, oh, it's not even worth talking about. <laughs> we'll move on. Um, <laughs> do, you think, do you think Tim Horan will be disappointed with no Rishan Pasatoa? No. No, I don't he think so. Either. That was a stupid he, comment at the time. I'll tell you yeah. who is disappointed, Fergus Lee Warner. What yes. does that guy need to do to get yeah. a gig in the top 40 players in Australian rugby? I do not understand that for the life of me. I know there's depth of back row. But surely is reward for effort at some point along the journey. We're going to lose that bloke to Australian rugby mm. and he's going to pop up in some UK, French, Japanese team shooting the lights out and being praised and everyone's going to turn, oh, hey, we let that guy go. Yeah. And, and they'll just pop, turn around, yeah. well, no one was interested. Yeah. He's got British heritage, the kid. I was going to say, oh. yeah, he'll have a step-grandparent who visited London once and Eddie if Jones was, will have him in the squad. If I was his manager, I, he'd get a great gig anywhere in the, the Guinness Premier Premiership. Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, that's like, and, but he, and the thing is, Ferg's one of those guys as well who I've always – I've talked pretty highly of him the whole time because what he – like he, he does – he puts out freak numbers every week, gets through an absolute mountain of work every week, no but it kind of really goes underappreciated because it's, that's his standard. Like that's, yeah. he's the guy that does go out there and make, I think he made 20 tackles and had 15 carries on the weekend as well as scoring a try. That's a huge amount of work for a big guy so, to get through. So yeah. Tess, what's, what's stopping him getting in that squad? What is it? Um, oh, What's stopping him? I would say if, if I'm Dave Randy, I'm saying he's probably in between. He can cover four, five, six, and eight, but can he cover them all at test level? Um, and then probably that little bit of size and power to either be one or the other. Mm. It's something, I guess it's it's something that, oh, I forgot. Uh, it was Brian Smith, the coach of the Roosters, and it spoke about just recently or within the last 12 months about rugby league. And I think it's pretty applicable to rugby union now as well on that you need to be a fast power athlete as well. And like, you're slowly starting to see, like, look at the, the guys like Taniela Tupo, all these new players that are coming through nowadays are kind of freakish special athletes and not, not shortening Ferg or anything like that. He's always going to, but he's always going to be your third fastest or he's always going to be your yeah. third biggest or, you know, little things like that. doesn't mean he's not playing well above his weight every week and, mm. and, you know, carrying, carrying a huge, huge workload. But, uh, I just think that that's probably how they're viewing him. And I don't think they're going to change that perspective of him, but, unfortunately. But I, I'm on the flip side. But mm-hmm. There is always re- room for improvement of players. People people can change. They can adapt. They can learn. Surely being in a camp environment is a benefit to mm-hmm. that player to improve his game, to address those areas. If you're not in the environment, how do you improve? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just... Yeah, I'm just perplexed about that one. Give him Vinavalu's spot. It's, well, yeah. well, yeah. Well, but, but to be and honest... Same with Nick it, Frost. It, Nick Frost is signed to go to Japan. So, yeah, you know, he, but, he's but already Isaac, made his decision. Isaac Rodder. Like, I know Isaac's got a, a really good line-out set up and all the rest of it. But for mine, he's not dominating as well as he should be um, around the paddock at the moment. He's losing his feet in contact all the time. So, he's not getting past the contact zone in any of his carries. Mm. Yet, he just goes straight in because he's he's been recruited from Australian rugby. So they've got to justify that recruitment by putting him in the squad. He doesn't deserve to be there on form. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, a, I know Dave Rennie goes, comes out and says, oh, I'm, I'm picking these squad because we've got England in mind in July. It's not about super rugby form. It's about getting the best guys together to play England. And I, I respect that. Um, and I fully understand that, but I still think you need to also reward effort because you're you need always going to, gonna, f- yeah. you've got to Correct. have depth. You've got to build Australian rugby depth. There's got to be, it's got to be two pronged. Yes. Pick your best team, 
to go towards that England goal, but also you've got to build your depth as you go along at the same time. Same, Lockie, um, Lockie Swinton, has he played a game yet this year? I don't think yes. Yeah, he started. No, he started. I think he was round Did one. He? Did he start round one? Then, oh, he got, then he was injured. I thought he was suspended for the first game. Oh, probably was. Probably. Yeah. But. yeah, no, he should be there. So the biggest Donaldson, biggest bolter, I should say, was uh, Donaldson. Was Donaldson, the New South Wales number 10 after only 10 starts in the New South Wales number 10 jersey. And he found out that he was in the team when he was scrolling through his Instagram, which is funny, but how does that happen? Surely the coach can pick up the phone and let players know they're in before the media department have to put out their little social media posts. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Well, you'd think so. <laughs> but give the guy a phone call. Why can't the coach ring him up and say, mate, congratulations, you're, you're in? What, Just, would you, what would you rather? I've been in the car with, with friends who have found out on social media that they've missed out on the squad after being Look who they've scrolled through. That'll be disappointing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, he deserves, he deserves to be there, Mickey. Like, he's played good footy. He's, he's got a different aspect to his game. I like, I like how he plays his game. Um, Thoroughly deserves to be there. Is he the new great white hope of Australian rugby? No, no. There's no such thing. Oh, yeah. Well, you have a lot of them. There's no such thing. Stop doing oh. it. No, there is no such thing. We need to just have 23 blokes that will die and bleed for the jersey. Okay, let's hope we've got them in that 40 somewhere. Brings um, a tear on. to my eye, Mitch. <laughs> Brings a tear to my eye. So, Girls Club, uh, on fr- it was going to be on a couple of weeks ago. It was postponed because of COVID. So, Friday the 1st of April is Girls Club. So, uh, join in. There's an engaging rugby session followed by a club barbecue. That's down at Southern Lions Footy Club from 5.30 till 7.30 p.m. at Success Regional Sporting Facility. It's basically introduced new players to the Friday night girls rugby competition. So current players encouraged to get down there and also bring along a friend. So that's Girls Club on Friday, 1st of April, 5.30 down at Southern Lions Rugby Union Club. And still in the community, a day in union is on this Saturday. We had Greg Mum on a couple of weeks ago. So March 26th, the wider rugby community being urged to come together online or with mates to celebrate their passion for the game. Just ask to post or share images of rugby, whether you're watching, playing, having a beer with a mate, put it on the socials, tag it a day in union. Uh, a great initiative easy to get behind and make the conversation about rugby positive again. So that's all on, on this Saturday. Uh, then it's been announced that St. Etienne has been announced as the Wallaby space for the Rugby World Cup in 2023. And I believe you can hang out with them if you join the Rugby Raps World Cup tour in association with Gullivers. I believe we spend two nights there out of the 18 that were on yep. tour. And there's one of the five games you watch in that terrific part of France. So for more details, it's Gullivers Rugby World Cup 2023.com.au and it's Tour 1C. That's the Rugby Rap hosted World Cup tour, which will be a beauty. In line me, Mick. Whereabouts? I'm not. I'm not good with my geography. Where is Saint Etienne? We'll have to throw that to Mitch Hardy, our resident <laughs> Frenchman. It's in the middle. It's in the middle Don't of the south. Don't say France. Don't say France. <laughs> up, up slightly from the bottom, in the middle, more towards the southeast. Terrific spot. So none of us know is what no. we're saying. <laughs> no. but, but a beautiful part of the world. Beautiful yeah, part of the world. We'll have a great time. We'll have a great time. Oh yeah. So that takes us to our Heroes of the Week. Thanks to Heroes and Villains Brewery in Osborne Park, where you nominate your hero on the Rugby Rap Facebook page or at Rugby underscore Rap on Twitter after each round to go in the draw. And Mitch, I hope you've got this week's nominations. I certainly do, Mickey. Excellent. Um, So Hayden Murray, uh, Peter Gus Soakula from the Chiefs. Um, Oh, how good was he? Soakula, he's on fire at the moment for the Chiefs. Um, Cornelius Mybra also nominated Soakula as well. So we'll have to give that some consideration. What might rule it out is that he's actually a Kiwi. So that, that might have a bearing on things. Uh, Kirsty uh, nominated. Hayden or who's the Kiwi? Is it Hayden? Or? I think, no. <laughs> well, Soakula is actually Fijian, I think. But uh, Hayden's probably a Kiwi. Uh, Kirsty nominated Fergus Lee Warner. We all love Fergus Lee Warner, but. This week may not be the week. Stu Jenkins, for some ungodly reason, nominated a Waratah Super W player. Um, well, I think it was Eva all Kapani. due respect. It was Eva Kapani who ran 55 metres to score yeah. a try. Yeah, another prop fair as enough. Well. Another, another prop. So I think Fantastic Stu, effort, yeah. Stu. The highlights you real. won. You won last week, so that rules you out. Um, and but I think that my hero of the week was Bailey Kunzel for stepping up and kicking that goal. That was a pressure kick. Um, he's had a couple of injuries early on, had a reasonably quiet game, but to be able to step up the end and nail it and get the win for the force, that's a hero moment. So Julie Neighbour is my 
uh, winner this week for the Bailey Kunzel kick on the death. Nice kick. work, Julie. So we'll get a voucher to you for uh, a couple of beers out at the uh, Heroes and Villains Brewery in Osborne Park, and which is a nice segue, Mitch, to next mm. week. We're thinking of take, or we are taking the rugby wrap on the road. Locked in, Mickey. The com- we're going to have a community rugby launch next week at the Heroes and Villains Brewery. So we're going to get to host um, a few of our guests from the podcast, um, well, a few of our members from the Facebook page. But we've put the event up on the Facebook page. If everyone needs to register, and then we'll select 15 people. Obviously, you've got to be WA Perth-based to be able to attend. Um, I think triple-vaxxed as well to get into the brewery. Triple-vaxxed. Triple all that sort of stuff. So please have a look at the Facebook site. We'll put the event up there. Register interest. We'll select 15 people, invite people along. We've got Clay Ewan knocked in, Tobias Hoskins, the three-time premiership winning captain from Cottesloe. He's always entertaining. <laughs> Kira McCaskill's agreed to come on the show. We've just got to sort that out with some pre-questions for Kira uh, to learn all about her journey into the in the Super W team. Um, and there might be a few other guests that we can line up as well. So... 5 p.m. from Heroes and Villains. You can come in, cash bar to be able to taste some of their delicious beers and we'll put a little bit of finger food on and we'll we'll do the podcast. Yeah, do the yeah, taking the podcast on the road. So so Clay you and Tobias Hoskin and Kieran McCaskill will be live guests uh, on the podcast next week. So it'll be great. Um, so, subject to IT or working at the one time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident. And so that's something to look forward to. Uh, it'll come out the normal time. But yeah, so make sure you do. And I know we'll pick the rugby the rugby wrap first 15 and they'll be our guests at uh, Heroes and Villains Brewery next Wednesday night from five o'clock. And a reminder, if you do have any feedback uh, about the podcast, anything you want us to cover on the Facebook page, the rugby wrap and on Twitter, rugby underscore wrap. So thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Tess. Good to see you both. No, nah, lovely to be here, Mick. All good. And thanks for everyone. He's looking immaculate. <laughs> he's like, to, he's almost like to recline on the ground. Like if you want to see models. what Heath Tessman really, really looks like, come down to the Heroes and Villains Brewery next week. We'll I want sure you to he's... draw me while I'm laying like this. <laughs> and if you've got a, if any of the punters out there have got a copy of your book, Nick, they could bring your book down. You can sign it for them. Exactly, and I can even bring some to sell. Pick up a couple of bucks <laughs> for each book. Make it a money money thing. That'd be wonderful. Pay for myself for a beer. That'd be great. great so, idea. thanks to everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on the Rugby Run.